Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. I've told uh, first hour, I still say, feel the same way. It's really easy to speak when you have that behind you, isn't it? Oh, they do a great job, don't they? All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, Westridge. Good to be here with you today as we wrap up our series of Seizing Opportunity. Now, through, uh, through the last four weeks, uh, including this one, we've traveled through the book of Ruth, the four chapters of Ruth. First, first chapter, seize the opportunities at the crossroads in life. The second week was seize opportunities in the God incidents that just happened to pop up. And last week, we talked about the relationships we seize opportunities in. And today, we're going to look at seizing opportunities that will affect our future and those we love. To begin with, I, I took this picture back on the 25th of March. Uh, now, we have our lawn treated in, uh, in Bourbonnet, but uh, for some reason, this little yellow flower sneaked through the treatment. So I just, I took a picture, I thought it was kind of interesting. The whole yard's clean except for one dandelion. Now, dandelions have been used by some to talk about the spiritual condition that followers of Jesus should have. I mean, they have deep roots, they're hardy, uh, their continued transformation makes them bear fruit, and they spread prolifically. Uh, with that as an example, look at this picture. Now, that's not my yard, okay? I, I took that on a prayer walk in Chicago, and, and I know what happened here. That started with one of those yellow flowers, right? And it was allowed to grow and spread all over the place. And I'm sure that their neighbors are going to appreciate the uh, continued spread of giving that's going to take place all around them, right? Now, after I took the picture of the one at our house, you know what I did with it? I pulled it out because I didn't want that to happen, right? Hey, here's the reality. Seeds spread. Uh, with this in mind, does the name John Chapman ring a bell? As an 18-year-old, he began an apprenticeship in an orchard, and shortly after this, he launched out on a crusade to bring fruit trees wherever he traveled. He planted nurseries of trees. He would build fences around them to guard the, uh, the trees, the little trees from local livestock, and after planting, he'd lead them, leave them in care of a neighbor who would then give these little seedlings to other people to plant trees. John would return every year or two to see how his enterprise was going, and he was responsible for introducing these orchards to places in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Illinois, and Ontario. And he became an American legend because these were the type of fruit he planted. Who am I talking about? Johnny? There you go. There you go. Johnny Appleseed. Now, he just loved to plant trees because he believed that apples should teach us some important lessons. Probably the most important is that seeds produce trees. Trees produce orchards that produce more orchards. Here's the reality. Seeds reproduce and grow, and they become something. The key thought for today, I believe, is an opportunity that every one of us holds in our hands. No matter who we are, we hold this opportunity because here's what I believe. The seeds that we plant now can bear fruit for many years to come. And we're going to see this truth lived out in the fourth chapter of Ruth. I listened to the first words of that song and I realized Boaz might, Boaz might have been saying the same things himself because the crossroads moment stood in front of him. And he needed to determine whether he's going to walk through that doorway or not. The book of Ruth really shows our God at work. Uh, and thinking about the future, every person in the story, whether it be Ruth, Boaz, or Naomi, they're all going to play important roles 
in the plan that God had in mind from the beginning of, uh, of this, this moment they had shared together. And this plan continues to bless us today. So let's go back to the story. Last week we left Boaz at the threshing room considering his next steps after Ruth had gone home to Naomi. Naomi had said this to Ruth, the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So Ruth had gone to Boaz asking him to become her husband and to and protect her, following the guidelines that God had set up to, to protect family lines. Now, he accepted a proposal. However, there was another person closer in line to fulfill the, the duties that God had placed in, in place. And that morning, Boaz went to talk to that guy who was next in line. He went to the city gate, which I, where a lot of business took place. He waited for the guy to come by, and he said, I, we need to talk about something that's come up. So the guy sat down there with him, and Boaz called the leaders of the community together as witnesses to what was going to take place. And, and Boaz said to the guy, hey, Naomi has come back from Moab. She has a piece of land that she needs to sell. And since you're next in line, you have the first option to buy as the nearest relative. And the man said, okay, I'll do that. And that's when Boaz dropped the other shoe. He said, by the way, uh, one of Naomi's daughter-in-laws came back with her, and if you want the land, you'll need to marry her too. Uh, so in order to keep the name of her husband attached to that land, that's how things were passed along. And hearing this, the next in kin, the next in line said, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. Uh, listen, if I do that, it might endanger my estate, so you do it. And Boaz said, Okay, I'm willing to do it. Now, back then, they had a strange procedure for, uh, for uh, finalizing the deal instead of signing the dotted line. Uh, the next in can took off his, uh, hey, dude, and handed it over to Boaz. And Boaz accepted the shoe, and the deal was sealed. And Boaz became not only the purchaser of the land, he also became the husband of Ruth. Are you going to become the husband of Ruth? See, Boaz stepped through the doorway and sealed the deal. He seized the opportunity. Now, there's several things I see in this story that are kind of intriguing to me, showing the active, love, the active involvement of God in our lives today, just as it was in, in the lives of his followers there. Uh, his, God's fingerprints are all over this story. For, the first thing I see, see is that Boaz did what was right. Uh, he followed God. See, Boaz had a choice when Ruth asked her to do this. He could have done the same thing that the next thing Ken did. He could have said, no, no, no. I, I have too much at stake for my estate and future and my future to take this deal, to take this lady into my house. He said, I can't, he could have said, I can't do this because I need to think of me. But that wasn't Boaz. That's not the kind of man he was. Now remember, he was an older guy, middle-aged at best, probably a little older than that. He had his life pretty well figured out at this point in time, and he was comfortable. And I'm sure a new wife, especially a young new wife, really a young new wife probably wasn't something he'd thought about or planned for. So this was not the most convenient thing for him at this point in time in his life. But he knew it was the right thing to do. And he'd had a chance to see, see Ruth at work, see what kind of lady she was, and he knew, he knew she was special. But Boaz was not only willing to do what was right, when the opportunity came, he stepped in and he fulfilled his duty. Last week, I told you about the way that Darren's dad, Bob, blessed my life uh, through the years. 
But I still remember a crossroads moment in my life, and it came from Bob. Uh, It was a a night in February 2000, so 22 years ago, and he called me up. And I knew that Bob had been in an important meeting that day with a national church planning group. I was his part-time assistant at that time, and he told me before this meeting, he said, listen, some things might pop up at this meeting where you need to think about your future. I said, okay. Now, I'll be honest, at that point in time, I was 18 years in my ministry at Mantino. The church was growing, things were going well. And I wasn't thinking about anything at that moment in time. I knew there was potential down the road of going with Ignite, who I work with now, or CDA as was known at that point in time. But I had no immediate time frame in my mind. But Bob's call that night changed that completely. Because he said, listen, I just stepped out of the meeting, and I need to know if you're willing to come to CDA full-time. I said, okay. I said, uh, how, how quickly do you need to know my answer? He said, I've got to be back in the meeting in 15 minutes. <laughs> okay. So I, I said, I'll call you right back. So, so Darnell and I talked real fast, and we said a real fast prayer. You ever say quick prayer, right? Okay. <laughs> Give me an answer. Well, I already knew the answer, okay? I'd been pointing toward this for several years, but... I still had to take a step into the unknown because I had no idea what I was going to do. I really didn't. I didn't know how this was going to play out. I didn't know how I was going to fulfill the role I was being asked to do. I had no idea. But I called Bob back up, and I said, okay, let's do it. And 22 years later, I think, I think things have worked out okay. I really do. Hey, launching out is always scary, Always. I was talking to a man we we're, uh, were considering as a church planner the other day. He talked about the church he was a campus pastor for, and, and this church is, is releasing the campus, but he wants to start something new. He said the, the home church or the mother church is more than willing to support me, but he said the problem is there are strings attached. And he said, I just don't know if I'm comfortable with these strings. It's okay. I said, well, here's some of your options. So we talked about launching out in faith, and he said, here's the problem. It's kind of scary to leave $300,000 sitting on the table. I said, it is. It is. But what what is God telling you to do? He said, I think I'm supposed to go out on my own, if you'll help. I said, well, well. Anytime we step out to follow God, others might look at us strangely and question our sanity. When I, went to, when I went to Ignite, my, my friends at, C, at the, the Christian Church Mantino said, are you crazy? You got everything you need right here. What are you doing? I said, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm sure Boaz faced the same sort of questions from people around him. What do you think you're doing? You're an old man taking a young wife, and here's the problem. She's not even a Jew. She's an outsider, and you're bringing her into the family line. What are you thinking? Boaz did what was right. He followed God, even when it wasn't convenient or easy. I think that's a lesson we can learn, isn't it? A second thing I see is that Boaz changed Ruth's life completely. See, Ruth came back to Beth, from, to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, knowing they were going to be... Uh, economically challenged, to say the least. This reality is what led her into the fields to glean for her next day's food. And as it turned, her, it turned out, she found herself in Boaz's field, as we saw in week two. 
And she met the man who was going to change her life. A man who was going to protect and provide for her. A man who was going to be her kinsman redeemer. A man who stood up for her. And when the time came, he stepped up and asked her to be his wife. Ruth went from having almost nothing to being the wife of a wealthy landowner, having all of her needs met, all because of the guy she met in the field that day. I read the story recently of a Sunday school teacher named Ed Kimball. He had a young man in his weekly Sunday school class at the, at the church that wasn't interested in anything that Ed had to tell him as he was teaching. But Ed felt a kinship with this young guy. And one day he showed up at the shoe store where the young man worked. And he said, D.L., I know you're not interested in, in what I have to say each week. I, I can tell that, okay? Uh, but I want to ask you a question. It starts with this. He said, God loves you and Jesus, his son, died for you. He said, I want to know if you believe that. And he said, I need to know the answer before next Sunday rolls around. So can you tell me? And, and the young man <laughs> thought about it. He said, he said, it was kind of funny. I was standing there with my wrapping paper around me and, and the merchandise in the store. He said, a minute before this, I've been thinking about shoes. And now Ed Kimball was facing me with God. And the young man looked at Ed and said, you know, yeah. Yeah, I do believe that. And all of a sudden, Dwight L. Moody felt a sudden lightning of his heart. And he said, I felt all kind of bouncy inside as I met Jesus for the first time. This young man became a person who led thousands of people in relationship with Jesus in Chicago in the 1850s, established Moody Bible Institute, the Moody Church. Well, you, know, you know the name. And it's all because one man, Ed Kimball, decided to ask him a question. I brought a pitcher of water with me today. And, uh, you know, I can change this pitcher. I can change this water. You know what just happened? It became much sweeter. <laughs> I'm such a jokester, I know. Okay, here's the reality. This water will never change like it is right now, okay? You've got to introduce something to it that's going to change it. So I, I, I do have that here, and you can see it. Okay, evident change. Okay. Now here's the thing. Water doesn't change on itself. It only changes as that substance is introduced to it. And when it happens, boom, it changes just like that. For Ruth, this is what happened when Boaz entered her life. You know, first as her, as her protector, her provider, her, her kinsman redeemer, and then finally as her husband. Everything changed. And you know what happens when Jesus enters a life? Everything changes for the better, forever, forever. Nothing we create on our own. It only happens because we let him in. But when we let him in, everything changes. And as we follow Jesus, what we get to do is cast seeds out everywhere we go. Now, here's what we know. Ed Kimball had no idea what Dwight L. Moody was going to do in the future. But God did. And God put Ed right where he needed to be, right when he needed to be there, so that Moody could become the man he was going to be. God has a plan. And I'll tell you what, God does the same thing through us today. The same thing. Third thing I see is that Boaz created a legacy. Now, to this point in time, Ruth had no children. 
But with her marriage to Boaz, we're told this, he went to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The son's name was Obed. This is extremely important, by the way, guys. And I, a few years ago, I was reading through Ruth, and all of a sudden it hit me, the importance of, of this interaction here with Boaz and Ruth. Because you see, Boaz welcomed Ruth and his family, married her, Obed was born, Obed was the grandfather of King David. Obed, Jesse, and then David. Jesus' lineage is traced back to David and back beyond him. See, when Boaz married Ruth, neither one of them had any idea of the importance of the son that was going to be born to them and the grandson who was going to come, who was going to change the nation of Israel. But God did. God knew he had a king coming. And so he allowed Boaz and Ruth to get married. Have Obed, Jesse, then David. You see, without Boaz, both he and Ruth die without children. There is no Obed, there is no Jesse, there is no David. But Boaz stepped up and a wonderful legacy came from him that blesses us today because, like I said, Jesus comes from that line. For just a moment here, I'd like to talk about legacy. I, I have a chain with me. And I, I like chains when I think about legacy because it, the, each link represents interactions, relationships we have. And it represents generations that can if you want to. It goes backwards and forwards. And every new generation adds, adds a new link on the end. The seeds we plant now, I believe, bear fruit into the future. And for me, though, this, this really revolves around a very important question. And the question is this. What do I want to pass along to my family and to those I love? So I have a picture of my, my family here. So I was thinking about this for myself. So I got three generations up there. You know how hard it is to get everybody doing the same thing in a camera picture? Yeah, you know. Okay. Michaela, well, anyway, yeah. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I love, I love those people. They are my heart. And so I was thinking about this. Uh, I, I think about these messages for a ways down the line. And I, I kind of I ponder on them for a while. What would I want to pass along to them? I was talking to my daughter-in-law about it one day, and, and I, I came up with it. I said, okay, I, I believe this is what I want to pass along. It, it comes down to a verse from 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Here's what the verse says. But these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And I told Crystal, I said, when it all comes down to it, I want to pass those three traits along to my family. These, I think, are anchor points that would be, that serve them well moving forward. And she gave me a great compliment. She says, I think you're doing a good job of that. I said, well, thank you. That's very kind. But these three things are important to me because, okay, first of all, faith. I, I think faith is just a, just a critical, critical thought. Yeah, for me, it takes several, several isn't that a great picture? <laughs> okay. Uh, the first is a willingness to step out when God calls. Okay, I want to launch out in the unknown just because I trust that God's going to catch me. That's why skydiving makes sense to me, okay? And I've got the perfect job to uh, allow me to practice faith regularly, Church planning requires faith. And that's what I talked to this young man the other day about. I, he said, what, well, how do you describe what you want to do? I said, for me, it's all about launching out 
And here's what I told him. I said, I want to keep doing what makes me uncomfortable. Because when I'm doing what's uncomfortable, I know I'm where it's not my power, but it's God. I got to rely on him. So yeah, when I'm afraid, that's good. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. I want to do that. And, And that's where I think faith plays an important part in that, where you reject fear. That's why skydiving makes sense to me. You just got to step. You just got to step. I don't want to be known as crazy, okay, to my grandchildren, but I do want to be known as somebody who's willing to launch when opportunity comes. And anytime we step out, there are going to be doubts. Anytime. Courage doesn't mean we don't feel fear, but it does mean we choose to step even when we feel fear. So for me, faith is very important, very important. I want my family to see me stepping. Uh, second is hope. It's a very, hope, I think, is a very attractive attribute. Hope looks forward. And for me, it takes the form of having a positive outlook on life. It's believing that God is going to take action. God's going to work. I read an article the other day detailing the lack of hope our younger generations are feeling right now. And it comes from looking at the wrong things. I, Darla and I were walking just this past week early in the morning, and I pointed up to the moon. I said, hey, look at the moon. Look at that star close to the moon. And she looked up, and when she did, she veered into my lane, and she ran into me. I said, hey, stay in your own lane. Okay? I'm, very, I'm very understanding in the morning. Okay, yeah. So, and I, and I, said, I laughed. And I said, I tell you what, I do learn an important principle from that. Okay? She said, what's that? I said, well, our feet go where our eyes are looking. And I think that's true. I know that driving. Right? Okay. The world we live in can foster a sense of hopelessness if we choose to look at the world and the chaos going on. It just does. Hope looks up to God because he loves us and he's for us, his children. And this is an outlook I want to pass on to my loved ones. I think that's a very important attribute. And the last is love. Love is a trait that sets Jesus, followers of Jesus apart from everyone else. I see it expressed in two ways, loving God. There's so much to be said about it, but when it comes to loving God, Jesus points out it's really very simple. Loving God means I I love God and it means I follow my Father's commandments. So when we follow God, we put his instruction into action in our lives. It shows we love him. It's an important link. So I want my children, my grandchildren, to see their grandpa and dad following God. And then there's a second focus, and that's loving others. That's where it gets a little more challenging at times, okay? Loving others who look different from us, those who have different opinions than we do, those who are challenging to love. But you know what? I want them to see me loving as a choice because that is very essential. So how about you? What seeds do you want to pass along? What legacy do you want to leave for the future? Because we're all adding links. So as we work, as we look forward, my challenge for everyone here today is to think ahead because we're all planting seeds. So what do you want to pass along to those you value the most? I want to encourage you to spend some time this week thinking about that very thing. If you, if you look at your life, what three things, what four things, whatever, do you want to pass along? What do you want to make sure your loved ones catch from you? I think every one of us have an opportunity to do this. 
Because every one of us influences people. We plant seeds everywhere we go all the time. So let's plan for that. And that's the second thing. When you discover what those things are you want to pass along, make sure you do one thing to those who are around you. Just do one thing. Remember, plant a seed. Plant a seed. Never can tell what's going to become in the future. Ed Kimball had no idea Dwight Moody was going to become who he did. Boaz had no idea King David was going to come from his son's family. But he did. And who knows who the people we influence, what they're going to do, what they're going to become. But we have to plant the seeds. And that's the thing I want you to think about. We need to think long term here. That's why I love that old Chinese proverb. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Okay? This next best time, today. Today. Hey, the trees we plant today may not bless our lives, but they sure will bless the lives of those coming after us. But let's be planting. And I've enjoyed the book of Ruth. I really have. What a lady, what a story. And I hope you've enjoyed that. And when opportunities come your way, my challenge is to look for the way God's providing those opportunities and then step in and seize them and just see what he can do because the legacy is certainly worth it. God bless you.